you hear me now? Why is it always operator error, you know? How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Let's get ready. Let's just worship the Lord. Let's have a good time. Let's drop our cares, leave them outside. Pastor Bill is going to have a very, very interesting message today. So. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. But here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be. I would rather 
I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Oh, awesome. This is my song You are my guiding light When the way is unknown And when the sunny skies Turn shades of gray I'll stay close by your side As you lead the way Jesus, lead on Jesus, lead on, let your love light the way. Jesus, lead on, I will follow. Jesus, lead on. Hear now this cry. Hear now this song. You are the guiding light. This journey I'm on And when my vision is clouded By the wind and the rain I'll stay close by your side As you lead the way Jesus, lead on I will follow Jesus, lead on Let your light the way Jesus, lead on Jesus, lead on. Well, Jesus, lead on. I will follow. Jesus, lead on. Let your love light the way. Jesus, lead on. I will follow. Jesus, lead on.
you guys are awesome out there. And if I can get my uh, iPad to work with me here. bigger uh, type here on my iPad. I can see that right now. Let me say a quick prayer for everybody. Lord, just thank you for this congregation. Uh, just feel the joy of the souls out here. I just ask you to cover us. Cover Pastor Jeff, who right now is not uh, feeling too good today, and so he's staying home. And I ask you to just fill your light into Pastor Bill as he gives his message. In Jesus' name we pray for these things. Amen.
All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And if you are at home, we just want to say we love you. We're so grateful that you're joining us online. Um, we are ready to see your faces, so when you're ready to see ours in person, we welcome you to come back. But I do want to let you know about two things that are coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Ladies, this first one is for you. Next Saturday at 8.30 across the street in the family room, you are having your first women's breakfast of the year. Kathy's excited. Did you want to come up and tell people about it? You want to be my Vanna? Come on. Kathy's over here being Vanna White. Um, so... Ladies, I hope that you will join the rest of the ladies from Lighthouse and across the street next Saturday at 8.30. You're going to have breakfast. I believe it's Shirley's Bagel. So there will be food. There will be a wonderful time to get to share what God has been doing in your lives, to be able to hold one another up in prayer. And then the very next Saturday, guys, we are going to do it. But we like to do it early before all the honeydews come in. So we're going to meet at 7 o'clock, same room same food. So I hope, gentlemen, that you will join us as well. And then one of the things that is really near and dear to my heart is this concept of neighboring. It's this idea that we are the church, this building is not the church, and that God has uniquely planted each of you in a sphere of influence somewhere in your community. Whether that be the neighbors that God has kind of sovereignly planted around you or the people that you interact with at work or people that you just do life with on a regular basis. You know that there are people that you have relationship with. And I want to challenge you. Some of you like football. Some of you like commercials. And some of you like the, the halftime show. I don't even know. But... Next Sunday is the Super Bowl, and I just want to challenge you to take that as an opportunity. If you plan on watching it, invite somebody from your sphere of influence to watch it with you. You have a week to figure out who that is, okay? And if you don't plan on watching it, then forget that. But I just want you to begin thinking intentionally. How can you use the things you're already doing to invite people into your life? That is my plug for you being the church this week, all right? And now I am really excited to have Pastor Bill continue our study through the book of Revelation. So can you all give him a warm welcome? Well, thank you, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. I am honored to be able to share this, this message with you this morning in one of probably my favorite books, um, and as Eric has said to everybody many times, I've spent a few hours in this book um, studying and learning and doing things. And I got kind of anal about it when I was in college. And my family can tell you about the wonderful times that we had when they would wake up in the mornings and I'd be asleep on the table from studies. But this book is the most amazing thing because of the fact that it is one and unique. This is the one book where God actually spoke to the man and he records everything that God told him to say and do. Today, we are going to look at two different churches. We're going to look the first at Pergamum, and then we're going to look the letter to Thyatira. And there will be a reason that we're doing the two of these together, and I will share that with you here in a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to go right into Revelation. We're in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 12. But if you don't have a Bible, there are plenty of there in front of you in the seats. You've got lots of them down there. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one home if you would like to. It's not a problem. We have plenty. We can share that with you. And yes, today I'm going to be going quickly and I'm going to stick to the script. 
I am going to stick to the script and try to get all of this done in one morning. So they said that you guys could be here till 2 o'clock, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> to the church in Pergamum. To the angel in, of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you may remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you, will fight against you, and with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The fun part of Revelation is there is a lot of different apocalyptic literature. And in that literature, we start to learn a whole lot of different things about the days of when these, the letter was written. So just like the churches of today in cities um, all over the world, there is a battle going on for the minds of men and women that is the most critical. And this is where we, as we visit these two churches, you're going to find out that this is where uh, this letter is addressed. The outcome of every other battle hinges on this battle because it is for the minds of the saints. In Pergamum, the battle was being waged on two fronts. First, the ideas that conflict and challenge God's revelation in Jesus Christ were bombarding the church from the outside of the church. And second, the ideas that conflict and challenge God's revelation in Jesus Christ were pressuring the church from the inside. Thoughts like, don't be judgmental. Oh, you need to be more tolerant. That's not very loving for a Christian. Sound familiar? In other words, we're not the only ones that went through these things. As Pastor Eric said last week, just like Smyrna, this church was an under overt attack from the inside and covert pressure from the outside. Most important, they were holding their ground against that attack from the outside. They were standing firm and their witness was strong, but they were losing the battle that was going on from the pressure on the inside of the church. So I'm going to share some information about the church at Pergamum in the first century. When we share these facts, please know that we, we, not just for a history lesson, there's an important thing that we have to know of their day so we can see how it applies to us this day. So please go to that. There you go. You guys are ahead of me. That's incredible. I like how you do that. So let's talk about the church at Pergamum. It was known as the city of the imperial cult. That meant that the emperor was God. That meant that they, could, they knew that their government was in control. Everything that happened, the government knew everything. The government was the one that made all the rules, that made the standings, that did everything. That was the imperial cult. And this was the biggest city with the most members of that cult. Now, the way that they showed their allegiance to all of these gods that they had and these different deities was they would build temples outside the city. 
Pergamum was this, the one place where that you could go to and probably right outside the city, if they say that you could walk from door to door without better even touching the ground, that's how many temples there were for at least 100 yards. So that means that every time that they had a new God, somebody built some kind of a temple. Now, I don't want us to believe that these temples were the size of this. Sometimes they were a single room with a single altar. But make no mistake, every time there was a new god or deity that they had, they had a reason to build a new temple, and they loved being temp building temples to these gods. One of those temples was for the <laughs> worship of a god named Asclepios. Asclepios was an interesting fella. Asclepios was the god of, his symbol was the serpent. I'm having trouble at Glenn. Okay, one for the worship of him, he was a symbol serpent. Now how this worked... Understand, I want to tell you this story. There's two twice. Okay, Eric, you're on. So we, we have to know that his, his thing was the serpent. Now, here's how it worked. In this temple, there was a big open space, a square. And it had a wall of about four feet high or a meter and a half is the way that they referred to it. And in this ground, people came and slept. And they paid if they were sick or something was wrong with them or hurting, they paid to come and sleep on the ground in this square forum. Because as Asclepios was the symbol of the serpent, the, the priests of this temple would go out and find tame snakes. And as you slept on the ground, if you were lucky enough to have one of those snakes slither up and coil up next to you and touch you, that meant that you were getting the touch of the healing from Asclepios. So I'm just wondering how many of us would love to go sleep with the snake. So I just thought I'd ask. Okay, I didn't see a lot of hands. And so if the snake came by, it's a heezing power. So once again, here we are looking for somewhere else other than Jesus or God to receive healing. Isn't that interesting? Because that doesn't happen much in our day today. So then let's, let me talk about that second temple, the one to the God of Zeus. God of Zeus was known as the greatest of all Greek gods. He was also given the name Zeus the Savior. Zeus's temple was built on a ledge that stuck out from the hillside 800 feet. This temple dominated the city and every citizen lived under its shadow. Again, I don't share this information with you just to give you a history lesson. This is what's necessary. Every person in Pergamum had to live under the shadow of knowing that there was a different God other than the God of Yahweh. Every citizen, every time they walked out of their house or did anything, went anywhere, all they heard was how Zeus was the savior. Zeus was the protector. Zeus was the... So, in other words, they lived in society where Jesus was second, God was maybe third, maybe fourth, and you didn't have to worry about studying and worshiping your God because the real God is the one that overlooks and overshadows a city. This is what made Jesus weep. In Pergamum, under the shadow of superstition, it's in such a battle at the center of ideas that would blind them to the truth about God. Everything in the city reminded the people that God was not as real as you think he is. Let's go to the next slide. So the church in Pergamum was built on a conical hill, or a hill shaped like a cone, with two great mounds. 
And one of those mounds, between these two mounds, there was a, a, an altar built, an altar of somewhere they believe somewhere around 20 to 30 feet long. And it was actually called the High Throne and later became known as Satan's Throne. And it was called Satan's Throne simply because of the fact of the rituals that they had there. Today, we don't have it called Satan's throne. It's called the altar at Pergamum. Just so you know, they have had to change the throne, the altar, because they want people to understand that it, you know, it wasn't really of the devil. The high throne, Satan's throne, and Jesus at this point is trying to tell us in this letter, you have to know how much this makes me weep, how I grieve for this. In fact, my grieving is so deep, so strong, that I hope you understand and know this. I will cry for you until I have to tell you what you have to do to come back to me. The amazing part is there's always a way back, and that's what we're going to find later on. Jesus' words, I know where you live. In, in Revelation Chapter 2, 13a, it says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. There's a reason that he puts it this way. The reason that he puts it this way, and I'd like to go to that next slide and show you the map. Because as you look at this map, you'll see that far to the east is Pergamum here, far left, and then Thyatira is just to the right of it. But these two churches are separated far to the, to the east. And as we hold that slide up, I want to leave it there for just a minute. Because I want you to know something. As you look at this map, you'll see that this is the area of where all seven of the churches uh, were located that uh, John is addressing and Jesus is giving him this, this vision. If you look down here to the right a little bit, you'll see Ephesus there. And as you go in a circle around that way, you were going to see that those are the church seven churches that Jesus talks about in this, in this letter, in this book. Now, if you were to be there in the first century and travel from Pergamum to Thyatira, you would go right in between. You'll see a valley in between the two of them, and it goes over a small mound there. There's a little hill right there. That hill is about 1,500 feet high, and you would go up and over it to go straight to Thyatira. So as it was called Satan's throne, you could see it as you were going by and traveling the valley. You could look to the left and see just say, or if you were coming the other way to the right, you would see the burned-out remnants of the hillside from all of the rituals that took place there. You could see that these two letters in correlation, then the trouble between the two churches is going to be very evident because of what is located in that place. Show the next slide, please. You see, as you look at the two places of the churches, Pergamum and Thyatira, they are and almost dead center to them. And they say that this throne is almost dead center within a meter of location between these two cities. There is a reason I share this with you, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, I would hope that you understand and know that in verse, in Revelation chapter 2, number 13b, it says, yet this church remained true to my name. You did not renounce your faith. Not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. We have to take into account that we did not, he, he's telling them, since you did not renounce your faith, even in the days, it was an amazing thing to even have a church in Pergamum. This church was so occultic, occultic in its nature, that 
for everybody to went to any shop, any business, anywhere, there was always two things for sale in that shop. Regardless, it could have been a, a grocery store, a market for clothing, plumbing, wood, whatever. Everything they had there didn't matter. Tools, anything, they always had two things for sale. Anybody want to guess what they were? Statues, idols, very good. Somebody said it. Idols of Zeus and idols of Asclepius. And you could do this. Now understand always, if, if Zeus was this big, you know, Asclepius was this big, they were never the same size because, you know, Zeus can't share that with anybody. So Jesus commends them on the fact that their devotion and their resolve. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Antipas. Antipas was a small shopkeeper. He heard about Jesus, and he became a believer in who Jesus was. He was so excited about his new faith that he began to share it with everyone who came into his shop. After sharing his faith one day with someone that he could, did, could not trust and probably should not have, God's plan, ran to the authorities and talked about Antipas, sharing the faith that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. As soon as the authorities heard this, before it even got to Caesar, Antipas was dragged out into the street, and he was killed and martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. We do not know what it's like to be martyred for our faith. But I have a question today. I'm just wondering, could we? If you were arrested, and, and this came from a guy named Gary Paxton back in the 70s, if you were arrested today for being a Christian, my question is, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We, we have to ask ourselves that. And if we could ask ourselves that on a daily basis, God, could today I be arrested for following you if it was against the law? Or even harder question, would I be willing to be arrested for following you? We don't always get those kinds of questions. Next verse I'd like you to look at is Revelation 2, 14 and part of 15. Because in all of that commendation, all of that amazing things that Jesus says to them, yes, you are strong, you are doing my faith, but all of their faith in their exercises on the outside, like I said, they were failing on the inside because of this. I have a few things against you. If there's ever a phrase you don't want to hear from God, people, remember this man spoke the universe into existence. So you don't want to hear from God, but I have a few things against you. Okay, wait, let me fix those before we talk again. That's where we want to go with this, okay? He says, you have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. This is a reference from the Old Testament to people who were deeply influenced by the teachings of a prophet named Balaam. And this story comes from Numbers 22 to 25, an incredible three chapters if you ever want to read a very interesting story of how a man of God can go from just speaking God's word to really causing almost the defeat of a nation. Because every time that Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, called Balaam, he wanted him to curse the Israel army. So he's asking God of Israel to give him the words to curse God's army. Balaam, believing that God was going to grant that, every time he stood before the Moabite army, he went before them 
and began to tell them how he was going to curse the army of Israel. And all the words that came out of his mouth were blessings on Israel. Balaam got frustrated. He tried to do it three, four times. There's four oracles listed in there. And he tried to keep saying, okay, I'm going to go out and curse the army. Because Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to pay him ransomly. He would have been a rich man. He would have had his own crystal cathedral. I'm sorry. He would have had a big giant church there. And lots of things. That was, I came out. I couldn't stop it. So... We have to understand that when we look at these things that God is doing in the lives of these people, even in the Old Testament, it still teaches us about who God is today. Because Balak pursued Balaam incessantly. And what happened then, unfortunately, we find out in by Moses. Moses gives a testimony in Numbers 31, in case you're wondering where this comes from. In Numbers 31, verses 40, he tells him, he says, why did you let those women live? Those were the ones who gave in to the teaching of Balaam and destroyed the armies of Israel. Basically, he, Balak, he taught Balak how to change the minds of the Israelites. The army of Israel began taking wives of evil worshiping tribes of other nations. The Israelites lost their devotion to Yahweh, and Israel's army was defeated. Now let's go to the first century where um, he's writing the church to, to uh, Pergamum. He says, look, the teaching of the Nicolaitans of the first century worked very much just like the teachings of Balaam. And in fact, it is the teachings of Balaam that is their creed. They believed that if your sexual behavior did not hurt anyone else, you could do whatever you desired. It also involved the eating of animals sacrificed to idols of their evil, at evil altars during social events. See, in that day, it was a way of showing devotion to your idol if you had a feast where you took meat, burned it on his altar, sacrificed it to him, and then had the feast and you partook of that meat. That meant that you were a follower of Asclepius, that you were a follower of Zeus. That's a small problem, by the way, just in case you're wondering. God is not doing this. So God tells him this, and he says to them this. He says, therefore, repent. The next slide, please. He says, you want to turn 180 degrees. you got to turn around. And Pastor Eric has said this. Pastor Jeff has said this. To repent means if I'm going this way, following the wrong way, i got to turn around and go this way towards Jesus. That's what he's telling her, them to do. He says, you guys are going the wrong way. You have to repent. You have to come to me and ask for forgiveness. You have to come to me. Confess your sins. Because he is who is, here's the, the confession, is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. The next line is the one that scares me more than anything. Change now. If not, which means or else, I will come to you soon and make war against you. Think about who is saying this. The God who created the world by saying, let there be light, let there be water, let there be land, let there be people, let us make man in our image. He spoke this in and he looks at these people on the earth that he created, the human beings, the image bearers that he is, and he says, repent or else I have to come and make war with you. It's astounding to me that somebody isn't the whole city of Pergamum at that point should be falling on their face before the Lord and saying, God, please understand, I don't want to die. Help me, Lord. 
I'm going to get more to that next. Next slide, please. Because Jesus says this to John. To him who conquers, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Churches. That's interesting, isn't it? Because remember, this letter was to the church at Pergamum. The first letter was to the church at Ephesus. The next letter was to the church at Smyrna. But at the end of every one of these letters, you see this same phrase. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My friends, everybody's reading everybody else's mail in this day. When scrolls came to the towns, they spread it around so that others could see. What I like most about this is that this is a future tense, open-ended thing. So he is saying to all of the churches, even in 2022, in Costa Mesa, California. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church at 301 Magnolia Street in Costa Mesa. We have to, un we have to know. We have to get it. We have to believe and understand that there is a God who can see every single thing and his eye is on the sparrow. And how much more important are you than those? He not only watches you not to smite you, not to put his thumb down or anything else, but he watches you to protect you. We have no idea how often and how much protection we receive every single day from the Holy Spirit because of who God is. If we look for all eternity in this, this tells me that as we discover each problem at each different, and each one is different, we may find that each church could have had many of the same problems. The reason God says it's to the churches, not just to the church. He says, listen to the churches, because every church may have multiple problems. I may be listing separate ones that are prominent for each one of these churches. But know this and understand that each church could have several of the same problems. So there may be people here who, like Ephesus, have lost their first love. Who, like Smyrna, are feeling pressure and all kinds of philipsis. And we may have people here who have replaced God and Je Jehovah himself with other idols like houses or cars or 1970 Dodge Challengers with 426 Hemis. <laughs> Don't judge me. I'm getting there. God knows my heart. If you look at the end of the letter, they have the same phrase. But my dear family, as you were looking through these notes at home, look at each of the problems for each of these churches. I have another question. <laughs> Do we have any of these same problems as Pergamum or Ephesus or Smyrna? These are just the ones that we've looked at so far. We still have more coming. Let's keep going. Next slide, please. I'm going to show you a map again because this is where we're going because now we're going to switch. We were in Pergamum, now we're going to go over to Thyatira. So we've crossed over the valley, we've passed by the throne of Satan, and nothing was burning there, we hope, while we went by, and here we stand, and we're going to go into Thyatira, and here's where we stand in Thyatira. Because Thyatira is a little bit different of a church, and they have a new problem. And so we're going to talk about this. I'm going to read from um, chapter 2, and now I'm going to start at uh, verse 18, and I'm going to go all the way to verse 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, 
whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Impressive. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I, I hate that phrase. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Sound familiar? Weren't we just at another church that did this? I have given her time to repent of her immoralities, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens upon you. Only hold to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. and He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This one's a little heavier. This one's quite amazing in the fact. Next slide, please. Yep. So, in this letter, it talks about worshiping other things. The center of worship in, or for Thyatira was the center of worship for the god Apollo. Notice how everybody has a different god and different deity. This is the god of sunlight. Okay, He was the divine guardian of the city. Thyatira had the most trade guilds in Asia Minor. Trade guilds today to us are called unions, labor unions. That's what they were, basically. <laughs> they, they were famous for hosting the most trade guilds in all of Asia Minor. <laughs> Every citizen of Thyatira who worked had to belong to a trade guild to survive. The trade guilds controlled the way of life in all of Thyatira. Without the guild approval, any business could go away in an instant. Most of the guild events that included um, social activities, including paying tribute and worship of the guild god. It was hard for a disciple of Jesus to participate in a feast where drunkenness and fornication were accepted practice. Church disciples were told, it's okay. Stay cool. Keep religion out of guild business. It's separate. This is not the same as when you're in the temple in worship to Jehovah God. This is separate. Are you seeing the connection between Pergamum and Thyatira? Remember what's right in the middle. Okay, next slide, please. Jesus speaks to the heart. Words from the Son of God. He opens that straight up. Why do you think that would be? Because remember Zeus. Zeus is the Savior. He's the saving God. He is the Savior of the world. And in fact, he called his son the Son of God. That's Zeus's son was named that. 
and Apollos were acclaimed to be the son of Zeus or the son of the Most High God. When Jesus starts this letter, he says the words from the Son of God, making it really, truly clear who is the true Son of God. When we look at that and we want to know why he opens some of these letters the way he does, and I'll give you a little, little hint to each letter as you look at it and open it up. The beginning phrase of every letter will tell you why he is addressing them. He will use phrases like that to speak strictly to that church to make sure he has their attention. That counts. That's a big deal. Because as soon as this church in Thyatira heard words from the Son of God, they would have went, wait, mm, wait a minute. I thought Zeus's son was the Son of God. And now Jesus says he's the Son of God. And then Jesus starts his letter. He says he has eyes like a flame. Let's look at eyes like a flame. Whenever eyes are mentioned in apocalyptic literature, it's referring to knowledge. Please know that you have to get all of the apocalyptic symbols to understand the language he's speaking to these people because he's talking to us as well. So when he says, eyes like a flame, and he's talking about his knowledge, Jesus' eyes of a flame can burn through the deepest, darkest veil of truth, deceit, and lies. He's going to see the truth in everything. If there is no truth, his eyes will find it. If there is a veil trying to cover it, oh, you know, God, I went to church last week, and I'll go next week. This week I need to stay home because I've got something i got to do. I'm not going to mention the football game. But at the same time, everybody in Thyatira who hears these words are going, wait a minute, I go, to I go to temple to worship Yahweh, but when I go to the guild business, you know, there's all those hospitality girls and boys, and, you know, that's a different thing because it's over here. You cannot hide the truth from Jesus. His eyes of a flame means that he can burn through every single dark heart and find the truth. His feet of burnished bronze. Burnished bronze is probably one of the hardest metals there is. And what he is telling us here is that his feet can trample evil and trample it to where it no longer exists. The people of Thyatira would have understood this. When something says he has feet of burnished bronze, that means he can march with it. He's going to trample on all evil. Those people in Thyatira would have realized what that means, that he has all the power and strength to finish all these guilds off in one fell swoop. These guilds cannot stand up to the, fa the fact that Jesus has the feet of burnished bronze. Next slide, please. <clears throat> I know your works, your love, your faith. I know your service, your endurance. His eyes of fire see through, see completely through the veils of that they were trying to hide. And, and when he is telling this church, I know of your faith and your service and your patience and your, your service. 
when he's telling them that, he's telling them, look, I am so proud of you because I can see what you are doing on the outside. Jesus knows how hard you're working on the outside. He can see that. He knows the struggles of every single one of them. He lets us know that he even knows. He says to them, the latter works exceed the first. In other words, it seems as though you're spinning your wheels even faster, working even harder to impress those around you to get them to see who Jesus really is, and yet you still have hearts that are turned the other way. Next slide, please. Because he says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Jezebel is a reference, and, but we don't know that in this instance, Jezebel in this church was not her real name. We, it could have been, we don't know. It may not have been her real name. Let me say it that way. So we don't know that Jezebel was really, um, she didn't have this name given to her at birth, but he's, he's referring to someone later on that we have to understand in, in the, yeah, I have it up there, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 31. Basically what happens is King Ahab, one of the most evil kings in all of Israel, he gets married to Jezebel. Jezebel is a Moabite. She teaches him how to worship Baal. In fact, they start to build altars to Baal all over um, Israel, and that, that, has a prob that starts the problem there. But here's the thing. Jezebel of this day, she was rich enough to pay... <clears throat> 850 priests to spread her idea that you could worship Baal and Yahweh at the same time. To her, it was just a matter of compartmentalization. So if you divide your heart into a side and a side, or you could do into three or four. By the way, yeah, just because this is two, you could have like eight or ten compartments in your heart for different deities. That's very interesting to me because I'm having trouble with just serving my one God, I don't know how I could serve two. But in Baal, it was, this was the thought. You could do what you wanted. You could be free. You had no judgment. Uh, you had, you had, everything was tolerable. You could tolerate everything. This woman was going around teaching this. In fact, she paid 850 priests to spread those ideas every day. These men were, and women were getting paid to make sure they put on the word that you could compartmentalize your beliefs. All you had to do was know that you could worship Baal and Yahweh at the same time. She knew it didn't work because she also knew that a certain group of tablets came down from the mountain in Moses' hand. And one of those said, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. So Yahweh and Baal could never be worshipped together. It is not possible. You're going to sacrifice one or both of them. So her idea was to compartmentalize your beliefs. In times of church, you worship Yahweh. While you are not in the church, you worship Baal. And in this way, there's no guilt, shame, and everyone shares in the blessing of God and the emperor. Everybody gets along with everybody. You tolerate everything. Next slide, please. So he's given time to repent. <clears throat> there it is. Jesus, I know, and when you get to, excuse me, I'm sorry, this, there we go. She was given time to repent, but she refused. 
He says, I'm going to throw her into sickbed. She will have great tribulation. He gives a whole list of things that can happen when you refuse God. I have friends who said to me, oh, I don't want to believe in God because I'm going to go to hell and be with my friends and party with them everywhere they are. Many of you may have heard that. I have to explain to them, know this. Hell is the absence of God. In a darkness where there is no partying, there is nothing else, there is just silence and darkness, and you are completely alone. It is not a party place. She will have great tribulation. And yet, in all of this, Jehovah Yahweh gave her time to repent. Even the woman teaching evil in God's sight was given a chance to return to God's love. I am so grateful that we serve a God of U-turns. Amen? Because if he didn't, I'm not sure a lot of us would be here. My family, if you're here today or watching today, and there are some things that you could set straight with God, things that only he knows and you know, don't wait. Repent. Come back to him. Turn around 180 degrees. Find a way. Do the things you need to do to get back to where that love that you once had for him. His, just, his judgments are not always hasty. He gives us time, but not forever. Please remember that. Next slide, please. And the churches will know. I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. He can see into the inside of all of us. He knows everything there is. He gives authority over all the nations. If we stay faithful, why then should we give in to the pressure of society around us? I have to ask, can you let your devotion to the God with the power of the universe in his hands fade away? Our allegiance and devotion show up every day in how we treat our families, our friends, yes, even strangers. As Jesus speaks to Pergamum and Thyatira, he speaks of their minds being transformed to beliefs that are in strict contrast to Jesus' words. And all the churches will know, to those who stay faithful, do not hold to her teaching. <laughs> to the one who conquers he will give authority next slide please he will give authority over the nations you will rule with a rod of iron these statements tell us two things all power in heaven and on earth is in the hands of Yahweh and no other God or deity before him all power is given to those who are faithful in his name. So why would the enemy not attack them? Because the enemy has one thought, and that is destroy all of the hearts that belong to Jesus. That's who he is. Next slide, please. What do we learn? Pergamum and Thyatira are separated cities. 
They have the same evil in Jesus' eyes because of their influence that is all around them. How much influence do we have around us? My dear friends, here's our problems today. If we want to break these down, it's real simple. We can watch media, we can watch television stations, we can watch everything we want to watch and still be so depressed at the end of the day because nothing but bad news will come. Or we can stand and we can understand that this is a battle not in flesh and blood. It is spiritual. If you slowly change your minds or the minds of your enemies and you slowly bring them into the, your way of thinking, no matter how debased or immoral or whatever, if you can find a way to just slowly bring it in easily, start small, build it up, make it so that they start to believe you and they will walk with you. If you can do that, it changes your worship. It changes who you are in Christ Jesus. It changes who you are in knowing the power of the resurrected Lord. The main target is Jesus and his followers. When we start looking at all of the targets that are happening throughout this book, and in the coming months, we're going to have some really doozies of Sundays and Wednesday nights. Because we are going to break it down. I have pastor friends who tells me that Pastor Eric and myself are a little crazy for doing this. And that's okay. We accept that. Not that we haven't been told that before. And we're all right with it. Because the battle is not in flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. And we want our, our, <laughs> all of you to understand a couple of things. Go to the next slide. Compartmentalization. To be able to take and put Jesus in his own little box so that you can watch and hold on to him whenever you want. And then you can say, hey, Jesus, here, you're in this box. I want you to sit over here. I'm going to go to this party, and it's probably not a place you want to go. So you stay here, and I'll go here, and then I'll come back, and then I go and pick up Jesus and say, how are you, Lord? This is a good thing. Dear family and friends, please, if you are doing that, fall on your knees. Repent, therefore so that he does not have to come and make war. Jesus hates the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. He makes that very clue, very clear in this passage, the book of Ephesians. It's all over where he talks about these two thoughts. And it's not even the thoughts of the acts and those things. And by the way, notice that it's the teaching of the acts of it's not the Nicolaitans themselves, as Pastor Eric has tried to make very clear. Hate the sin, love the sinner. And we see that even in the way that Jesus tells, tells Isabel, you have a chance to repent, come back to me and we can do this. So we have to wonder, why does Jesus hate tolerance? Because through tar tolerating compartmentalization, I know those are big words, by tolerating the fact that you can set Jesus aside and worship something else, opens yourself up to a spiritual darkness that Jesus never wants you to see. The Lord Jesus went to the cross just so that that darkness could be forever smited, smitten, done away with, he wants to get rid of it. He wants to get rid of that spiritual darkness because he knows that the harm, it will come to you. 
Say, but I'm just a small person. I don't matter to God that much. I have news for you. Even if you were the only person on this earth today, Jesus would have still gone to the cross so that you could spend eternity with him in heaven. Please remember that. Please know that there's no place that we can go that God's, <laughs> no place I would rather be. Glenn, thank you for that song. What a worship team we have. I, have, I love them so dearly compartmentalization will open you up to a spiritual darkness that it is hard to come back from. Final question. Last slide. Here's what is clear in these two letters. Jesus is speaking to every believer in every era. He is addressing the fundamental issues that we even face today. Yes, they were facing them in those two churches, but the, we face the same ones today. Because you see, it's all about your thoughts in your mind that control your actions. If you want to know the theme of these two letters, it's this. It's all about the thoughts in your mind that control your actions. Where your heart is. Go ahead, finish. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, want, you want to know that your heart is in the hands of the Lord Jesus himself because that's the only way you stay protected, blessed, forgiven, and full of grace. So two questions. I says one, but I have two there. Who will control your mind and actions? You get to decide. It's called free will. God could make us robots and make us have to change and follow him and, follow and do what he says. But the fact of the matter is, you get to decide who will control your mind and actions. And the last question is this, as I ask the praise team to come on back up. How then? If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I would ask you this. How then will you follow Jesus? Will it be one with open hands and arms? Can you say yes to him before you know his question? Can you follow Jesus in such a way that there is no doubt of your allegiance to whom you owe your Dynamic praise and worship. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this day. God, please allow us to come before you. Church, I would invite anybody who needs to to come up here, and I'm going to ask some of the elders and pastors to come up and accept people as they come forward in this song. Lord, you see all. Your eyes of flame know the truth. You know all things. So help us this day to stand before you, clean and pure in your eyes, but only because of the blood of your Son that was shed on the cross. We thank you for your time and your word and ask God that you have our hearts and our minds opened to walk in the footsteps of Jesus as we seek to make him our true Lord and Savior. In his holy name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.
I've searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough And you came along And put me back together And every desire is now satisfied here in your love oh there's nothing
appreciation to Bill for opening God's word for us today. As he was sharing for both of these churches, uh, the word that kept coming up, and I really kind of landed for me, was this word compartmentalization. For both of these churches, yes, I will worship Jesus and I will worship Zeus or Asclepius or, you know, Apollos or whatever. And when I think of that compartmentalization that goes on in our own lives, no, we may not worship another God, but there are other things in our life that we run to and hold on to and say, I find my security, I find my hope, I find my consolation in this thing. When I think of compartmentalization, I think of what happens when I invite somebody into my home or our family has somebody over. We spend a lot of time on certain rooms that we know they're going to go in, making sure that those are clean and presentable. And all of the stuff that is typically in those rooms that isn't presentable or is just messy gets shoved into rooms that the doors are then closed and they become compartmentalized, right? The house is clean, at least from what you can see. I feel like in some ways you and I, certainly I, recognize I have done that with Jesus. Yes, come into my life. Oh, hold on a second. Let me kind of clean this up and throw that back in the cup. Just don't go in that room. Just don't open that door. Don't, don't take that from me because I'm not ready to let that go. And I think of the things. We may not be worshiping other gods, but we certainly carry with us things where we say, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. And in the back room, in the darkness, with the lights turned off and the door locked, we say, but I need this. I'm not ready to let go of this. And in that sense, we 
are making the same mistakes that these believers in these churches that we've been reading about today were making. When we try to hold on to Jesus and hold on to something else, when we say, Jesus, you can come this far, but don't go through that door, don't look there, we're really not allowing him to be the Lord of our life, our full life. And we are the ones who suffer because of it. So this morning, I just want to pray a prayer over anybody who recognizes that like me, there are closets in our own lives that we have kept closed to Jesus, places in our own life that we've compartmentalized. And if I am talking to you, because I'm certainly talking to me, but if I'm talking to you as well, I would invite you to stand up. And if you're standing and that's not you, then you can sit down. But for those of you who recognize, yes, there are compartments in my life that Jesus is not, has not been welcomed into, things that I've been holding on to that I'm not ready to let go of, but I want to, because I want to fully take the blessing of the light that he shines, that healing, transformative light, even into those dark recesses of my life. I'm going to invite you to just stand with me because I'm about to pray over us. Holy Spirit, you already know those closets. You already know those rooms where we've shoved these things, where we, where we run to in, our, in the darkness but are afraid to release them to the light. You know the ways that they're hamstringing us. You know the ways that they are stealing our focus, our worship, and your power in our lives because of our dependence upon them as well. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that even now you would begin to rattle the doorknobs of those areas and to begin to pull open the doors and that the light of your love would radiate in there. I am so unbelievably grateful for the reminder that we got that in both of these churches, as much compartmentalization that was going on, you are still patient you still give opportunities, even for the Jezebels, even for the Balaams, even for those who have run a million miles away or tried to. You still patiently say, come back to me. I haven't given up on you. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that you are a God of second, third, and hundredth chances. Would you break the back of the other things that rival you for our worship. Shine light in the darkness. Glorify yourself in even the healing and the purging of our compartments so that you can have full reign over us, that we would be fully submitted to you. We do it and we say it, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Guys, we love getting to do life with you. I know that there is a number of things that Bill would have loved to be, continue to unpack. He will continue to do that on Wednesday night. If you can join us.
If you have prayer requests, ways that we can be walking with you, you can write them on the connection card, drop them in the buckets in the back. If you want to give financially, you can do the same thing there. If this is your first time here, we don't ask that you give financially. We just ask that you let us know that you were here so that we can let you know about next steps of getting connected. Ladies, I hope that you will join the other ladies next week at 8.30 in the family room on Saturday morning for their women's breakfast. Have a wonderful week, and now go be the church. Yes, Jeannie. Men, two weeks oh, excellent. That's wonderful. I was off by that. So men, two weeks from now. You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory You're the only one who can You turn graves into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn fees into highways You're the Thank you.